Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Thursday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today we are closing out our series on productivity and pleasure with a live Q&A and book reading. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that I bought cards to send with a few books we're sending out and I got to pick them up from a local shop in town. And I walked in and the owner is someone who I'm friends with, but I haven't seen them since before the pandemic. And I got to catch up with them and it felt like such a sweet small town moment. My thorn is that I had honestly a pretty intense trauma trigger this morning and actually had to spend the morning just kind of taking care of myself. I cried, I meditated, I journaled, I laid down for a little bit, I tried to move my body to kind of move the energy around and it worked like it did help and I was able to move through those feelings but I did it's just kind of inconvenient (laughs) I know that sounds kind of cold and I resting more than I felt comfortable isn't always easy it was the right thing to do but it wasn't necessarily like the easy thing to do I'm really proud of myself this is such like growth for me to really honor myself and love myself through this kind of experience and to not just kind of push through, you know, but it's hard. It, that's just, it's hard. My bud though, is that we've been having really fun Saturday morning dates and we've been playing tennis and getting coffee and going to the farmer's market. And so I'm just really looking forward to the weekend and spending that with my husband and my kiddo and having just a lovely Saturday. Okay, let's dive in to the live. As a reminder, this is an Instagram live that I've pulled the audio from. I like to share it here just in case. I know a lot of you guys don't follow me on Instagram, so I want to make sure that you're getting the audio from this, but at the same time, it's going to have like little weird Instagram quirks. If you hear anything weird, that's why. Thanks for listening. Hi. Um... This today's live is just about finding more pleasure, more joy in your life. Um, I'm gonna wait a second to see if anybody wants to join us live. And then if not, we'll um, we'll hop into answering the questions that have already come in. Hello, everybody. Um, feel free to pop your questions in the comments and I'll answer them. Anything you have about the Enneagram, about productivity, about finding more joy and pleasure in your life, making time for those things. Um, this is kind of like a wrap up to the series that we've been doing on the podcast about productivity and pleasure. I'll kind of talk about that a little bit, but again, I'm going to look for questions. Hi, Emily. Um, I'm going to look for questions in the comments, so I'll answer those as well. But essentially, this the series that we've been doing is discussing the idea that productivity, kind of like the need for productivity, oftentimes we're using it wrong, right? We're focusing on how can I get more work done through getting my work done faster. But instead, what if we were using productivity as a tool to get our work done so that we can experience more joy and pleasure in our lives? And um, and therefore like productivity not becoming like a conduit for just more work and over-functioning, but instead a conduit for more joy and pleasure. And through the series on the podcast, I did an episode for Ever Enneagram Type and we talked about wait, things that maybe might keeping you from might be keeping you from being more productive and then things that could get in your way of experiencing more pleasure. So if you guys have questions about that, I'm here for it and I can answer them. Otherwise, we'll hang out. We'll talk. I also have my book. If you guys want, I can do readings from the new book for your Enneagram type. I just want to feel connected to you guys, honestly, and feel like we're it's a two-way conversation. Um, Lynn says, any advice for a nine making decisions? It is so hard. Okay, yes. So first... The first thing, I think a lot of times this difficulty with making decisions for nines comes from 
two places. One, I disconnect from self, right? You're kind of focusing a lot on like what other people are experiencing, how they're experiencing you, and then not really fully aware of how you're experiencing things. So you need to get a little bit more selfish, a little bit more self-involved. Um, I like using those, they're kind of charged words, but I like using those words because it gives you so much more permission to go all, you know, go further than you feel comfortable with. And I mean, really just spend more time paying attention to yourself and noticing how your body feels when you spend time with certain people, when you make certain decisions, when you go certain places. So then when you're having to make these decisions on the spot, you're much more in tune with who you are and how things feel to you. That being said, the other thing that can get in the way is struggles with prioritization, what's more important right now. And um, when it comes to tasks, I like to use the Eisenhower matrix. So if you imagine it kind of like this, like each four squares, um, and you have on this side things that are um, urgent or not urgent and things that are Oh no, I can't remember the top part. You should Google the Eisenhower matrix. Basically, it's just like four categories. If anybody knows what the other side says, just tell, you can put it in the comments. But essentially what it does is you can like plug and play. You put these tasks in the quadrants and you can see which things really need to happen right now and which things don't need to happen right now, which things maybe you don't even need to do. Maybe they could be put off to someone else or maybe taken off of your to-do list. So in that way, that's going to help you kind of prioritize. But really, it's about spending time alone, spending time with yourself. And I think alone outside of your house, outside of your normal routine so that you can get to know yourself in new scenarios. <clears throat> I am a nine, my partner's a seven who also has ADHD. How do I pursue conflict, conflict conversations in a way that doesn't squash his joy, especially when he's have, having trouble focusing? Um, this is a hard one, right? Sevens, we wanna just always have a good day. <laughs> and nines don't wanna have conflict. So how do we like find this time where we're having difficult conversations because it's important? Um, this may be a thing where you schedule that in so that you can be prepared and you have a time limit. So in different seasons of my life with my husband, we've done like a weekly meeting and we just talk about like what's up for you this week in our relationship. What feels good? What doesn't feel good? What can we do better? And I will say as a seven myself, it is very helpful if we focus on what can I do moving forward? So maybe not going back to here's everything that you did that was bad and wrong, which maybe you need to say, but more so like, what do we want moving forward? Because a lot of times sevens have kind of like a can-do attitude, but it's like the fear of getting trapped in like shame or negative emotions or like being bad or um, that can, can, or being seen like we're bad, you know, that we can kind of be rejecting of. But if you want to kind of push push it in forward, so instead of saying like, um, hey, this week you didn't do the dishes any day this week and I'm feeling really frustrated with you and you're, you know, you're a bad partner for not doing that, saying, hey, what can we do this week to make sure that the dishes are split evenly? And kind of having that more as like a proactive future-oriented conversation, I think just it's going to be easier to have the, have that talk. But also I will say a lot of times I like to have a time limit. So like, okay, for one hour, we're going to have this conversation. And that helps me as a seven to know that I'm not going to be trapped in the sensation for forever. And then it's like an hour that I'm dedicating that I'm proactively doing to participate in this relationship. And it's intended to talk through all of these things. And I can plan ahead and know, okay, I'm, I'm dedicating my time to that. Um, is one type more prone to ADHD? How does it play out for someone to be a type two but struggle with being organized? You know, I would say no. I think a lot of times people think that sevens all have ADHD, but I, I wouldn't say that's true. Um, we do have, uh, you know, elements of ADHD, some parts of ADHD you can see in the type seven structure, but also some parts of ADHD you can see in the type four structure. There's, you know, ADHD is, is a chemical thing. And the Enneagram is a coping mechanism. So um, I wouldn't say there's a direct correlation. And, but how does it play out for someone to be a type two but struggle with being organized? Well, you know, I think everybody can struggle with being organized no matter your type. And I think that you 
I would imagine, and and you can tell me if I'm wrong or, or right on that, I would just imagine that, um, you know, type twos tend to focus on other people's needs. And so if there's not a big payoff or big reward to organizing your own stuff. I've worked with a lot of type twos back when I was doing one-on-one coaching who really struggled with email. And the reason being because there's not like a, a human face who's saying like, thank you for doing this or good job or this meant a lot to me. It's kind of like this unreceptive, like unresponsive task. And I think organization can feel that way. Like it's only for me and how I feel or how I should be. And there's no one else here saying like, way to go. Good job. I'm proud of you. I love this. Thank you so much for doing this for me. This means a lot to me, which I think oftentimes is a high motivation for type twos. So it's really, I think starts with, um, if you want to be more organized, is that a should? Is that something you think you're supposed to be? Um, and then maybe that's something we can kind of let go if it's not a high priority. Or if it's like, I really want this. I know this would make me feel better. Then maybe it's like, well, how do I start prioritizing myself? Like, how do I start to make myself a priority in my life um, in general in order to make this a priority in my life? Can you give productivity advice for a two with ADHD? <laughs> I love there's so many ADHD people. So I'm married to a, um, an ADHD person. I've done so much research around ADHD. I'm not an expert, but I do know, a, I do have a lot of research behind my belt. So I, I just want to be clear, like this is not my area of expertise, but I do, I feel like I can help. Um, so for type twos with ADHD in terms of productivity, First of all, with any ADHD person, I think the, there's this really important thing to keep in mind that every task will expand to fit the time allotted to it. So if you have, if you give yourself a week to do a task, it's going to take you that entire week to do the task. If you give yourself two hours on a Tuesday to do that task, it's going to take you two hours on that Tuesday to do the task. So in general, for everyone with ADHD, I highly, highly, highly recommend maybe if you have a friend too, to sit down with you and walk kind of every week. I do this. We do this as a family because I need this in my life. But we sit down and we talk about like what what are the tasks we have this week? What are the times that we're going to put those tasks in the week and then only give the task that much time? This way, it's not you like kind of ruminating on the task all week long, feeling shame, feeling like you're not doing it, feeling like you're putting it off, and then just like crunching it out of the last minute. Dedicate a certain amount of time, set internal deadlines. Like this thing is due on Wednesday. That means that I have to do it on Tuesday and I have two hours to do it on Tuesday because that's the time I've given to it. And I have other things I have to do on Wednesday, so I can't. So kind of, and I know that like, I've recently heard someone talk about how ADHD is kind of like a, blindness to time, like where you are in, in space. So I know that like thinking about the future, planning ahead for the future can actually feel um, really difficult. And so I think having a friend or someone to sit down with you and kind of walk with you through that can be really supportive. And it's absolutely something you can ask for. Um, because I have to do that with like taxes and like money stuff. I get so overwhelmed by it that I just need someone to sit with me while I walk through it and hold space for that to be a priority. So that might be helpful. <clears throat> Finally, so plan ahead, but then, and then only keep, give yourself a certain amount of time to do the task and then set a timer um, because timers are highly motivating and they keep you really focused and um, hide your phone. I have to hide my phone. I like literally put it in the drawer. Um, how can type one separate the need to continue to prove themselves via more work and to feel okay taking a step back from stressful work and routine? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we think about the one structure. The one structure says like you have to be good um, and that goodness is earned through what you do and that you can't be bad or evil or corrupt. And, and oftentimes the message is, I have to be the adult in the room. If I'm not responsible, then who's going to be? And so the important thing is that we're having conversations with that part of ourselves, right? Like that's not who we have to be. It's just who we've become or it's who we've been in order to protect the most vulnerable part of ourselves. So um, it's like this pressure that we're carrying and that's what like the new book, 
the Enneagram letters, I call it pressures. Um, and it's like type one's carrying the pressure to be morally perfect. And so it's really about recognizing that that's a pressure you don't have to carry. You can let that pressure go. And so in order to do that, you have to start to see yourself as innately good and start to own the fact that like work is not going to earn your goodness for you or even that like other people's problems are their problems. Like you don't have to be the adult in the room. You don't have to rescue the whole workplace environment by over-functioning and that you can function to the degree that you've agreed upon, like to, you know, what's my job description? What am I actually getting compensated for? Working to that degree and then allowing the people whose job it is to do the rest of that, do the rest of that. Um, yeah, so you are innately good. Your goodness is not earned through what you do. You do not have to be the only adult in the room. And you're only getting compensated for what your your job description describes. And it is absolutely fair and just for you to do the appropriate amount of work for what you're being compensated for. Um, um, Self-involved, I love the phrasing, Eisenhower Matrix, I'll Google, yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm sorry I can't remember the other side of the Eisenhower Matrix. I literally blank on that one all the time. And I'd Google it for you, but I'm using my phone's on here. Okay. Um, sorry, y'all. I'm just scrolling through to see questions. I got, I'm a little backed up. Oh, it's so good to see all of you here. Um, Some of the taxes are stressful. They are stressful. And no one, we pretend like we're just supposed to like know what we're doing. And we, we don't, but we don't. Um, I mean, some of you might, I, I am figuring it out every day. Where can we find your book? Um, hi, Jessica. So my book is anywhere you want to buy books online. Um, there's currently in my feed, like in my link in my bio, there is three links. One link is for an autographed edition that you, is available for pre-order now. The second link is for if you want to join the street team. I have a street team of people. We're doing the like a book club for the book every single week until the book goes live. We're reading the book together. You get an early edition, like PDF edition, and then your book comes in the mail and you can do the autographed edition and the street team and we can like hang out for the next few months. Um, and if you can't make the live calls, you can we do replays so you can watch the replay and hang out and kind of walk through it together. Uh, so you can go check that out, but also it's just like on Amazon and through your local bookstore. Usually you can pre-order through your local bookstore as well. Thank you, Jessica. Um, suggestion for Enneagram books. Yes, I have a lot. Um, you know, I think I have two books. The Honest Enneagram is a book that's like an introduction book, but it also talks through like personal growth through the lens of the Enneagram. And then I have the Enneagram Letters, which is coming out in October, but it's available for pre-order now. And it's like a creative exploration of the Enneagram through the through the lens of personal essays and poetry. Um, it's like the I've never seen anybody else do it. I think it's really exciting. Um I think it's really fun. But other books that I really love, The Wisdom of the Enneagram is like basically the textbook of the Enneagram. Um, Helen Palmer's In Love and Work is really good. And Beatrice Chestnut's um, The Complete Enneagram is really good for subtypes if you want to go deeper. And I'll, I have so many more, but that's like my top three. Um, do you have e-formation of your book? Yeah, well, there will be um, a... Kindle version. There's also going to be an audiobook, which I'll be reading. And then, um, yeah, and then there's the printed edition. Um, doo -doo -doo. Oh, thank you. And okay, I have questions that came in through the contact form that I will answer for you all um, as well. But keep your questions coming in the comments if you want to. Um, we had a type eight ask how to deal with ambiguity and uncertainty in a relationship. I'm imagining that what you're asking about is like in a dating relationship. And if that's the case, I say like, don't do that. Like, don't deal with that as like an old married person who can like look back at my dating life now and be like, why did I do that? Like, why did I let people be like uncertain about me? Um, don't do that. Don't let them be uncertain about you. Ask questions, be really direct 
um, because the it's like a marketing, like when you're studying marketing, if you're appealing to everybody, you're appealing to nobody. And so it's like better to just say the truth and to be yourself and to get it all out up front so that you can really pull in the people that you want um, to stay and you can release the people that you don't want to stay. So if you're in a dating situation and there's ambiguity there, like just be really upfront about like what you want, what you expect, who you are, um, ask them how they're feeling and then let them go if they're not feeling ready for it because don't waste your time. Um, number two, I am a type two. I have a hard time finding joy in doing something by myself. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I think this just takes practice. I think a lot of times when we talk about like things that can prevent pleasure and joy for the type twos, it's waiting for other people to, um, yeah, it's about like waiting for people to do things with you and, I think that the, there's like a discomfort sometimes in like doing things alone. And I think especially if you think about the type two structure of like wanting to be liked, wanting to be wanted, that it can make you feel like you're having to do things alone. But I really think well, the more you practice it, um, the more joy you will find in it. And it's really about getting to know yourself, dating yourself. So for the type two, I would say start to take yourself on the dates you wish someone else would take you on. Go to the restaurants you wish you could always go to. Go to the movie you want to go to, even if no one wants to go to it with you. And maybe it'll feel uncomfortable for a little bit, but then the more you do it, the more freedom you're going to have. Um, <laughs> um, the more freedom you're going to have and the more space you're going to have to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and feel free to like not be dependent on the relationships in your life in order to have a good time and have a good life. Um, what do you suggest to do when you are running low on patience? Uh, ultimate, like it's like self-care emergency time. <laughs> like when for me, when I'm running low on patience, it's like immediately, what do I need to do in order to take care of myself? What is the unmet need that's happening here? Because that's really what that is about for me um, is what's the unmet need that is making me lose patience with the people in my life. So explore. And I like to ask myself, what is my heart, mind, body, and soul need? And then explore from there um, and give them to myself. Um, also for the type two, we have um, C. Jan says, have home dates would be cool. I think that's a really good, really good suggestion for places to start if you're uncomfortable kind of going out and doing things alone, you know, just asking for space at home to be alone, enjoy your house by yourself, take a bath, whatever you like to do, um, and really just enjoy your space. Do you want the good news first or the bad news first? The good news is you're alive. The bad news, you probably don't have life insurance, which is why you need Ethos. With Ethos, you could get life insurance in 10 minutes for as little as $10 a month. Unlike other companies' long, confusing, and outdated application processes, Ethos 100% online application takes only minutes, so you can get back to living. Ethos has no medical exams, just a few easy health questions and competitive rates from top-rated carriers. Ethos is affordable and convenient. If you are like me and you get so overwhelmed with these tasks that we have to do but feel boring and stressful and overwhelming, <laughs> Ethos is for you. You just get online, you fill out your application, it takes 10 minutes, and then you're done. You've done one of the things that we all have to do at some point in our lives, and you've done it before it was too late. I highly encourage it. Definitely check it out and join the thousands of satisfied families protected with help from Ethos who have given the company a 4.8 star rating on Google reviews. Every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash egram, spelled E-T-H-O-S life.com slash egram. Go to ethoslife.com slash egram to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies Incorporated operates in California as Ethos Life Insurance Services, not available in all states and prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. 
is how do you address type ones about inappropriate behavior without coming across as critical? Um, yeah, you know, I think s directing it from the place of this is how that makes me true feel like this is how this is impacting me. So maybe not saying like you're doing and that's the behavior that you're doing is inappropriate. Um, that's going to be super triggering, right? For the type one, because that's how they already talk to themselves. So it's kind of like they're getting it from all sides. Like I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. But instead saying this thing that happened made me feel this way, which reminded me of the thing that's happened to me in my past. Um, so if you, let's say the inappropriate, I don't know what the inappropriate behavior is. Like maybe it's like extreme, like cheating or, you know, something you would qualify as cheating or yelling or whatever that is. In that case, like we're not here to like protect their feelings necessarily go to, you know, they, you guys should go to get therapy together and have like a third party to kind of hold space for that if it's like that serious. But if we're talking like they're putting their laundry on the floor and it's, getting old and you've talked to him about it like a million times and it's just still happening. Um, if that's the case, kind of saying, Hey, when you put the laundry on the floor, it makes me feel like I have to compensate for you. And I have to like pick up after you, which reminds me of like all of the roles in which I've had to do that in the past. And it's exhausting for me. And, um, how can we work on getting the laundry in the basket in the future? Um, and it takes a lot more it's slower process, but it's also going to get a better result, a quicker result. Um, type three question, how to uncover your true wants and needs. Yeah, I think that this is like the three, six, nine conundrum, right? Is this kind of disconnection with your own sense of self because we're so focused on how other people are experiencing us, whether that's because we want, you know, we want to be successful or deemed successful or make other people comfortable around us or to make sure that we're, you know, everybody feels safe. In that case, um, getting to know your true wants and needs is really about getting in touch with how you feel. Um, you know, what are the feelings that are happening in my body? Um, so getting in touch with your body and getting in touch with your feelings. And in order to do that, typically what I recommend is like an unplugged walk. So once a day, not having your phone, not having a podcast in, not listening to an audiobook, not like feeding your mind, but really just going on a walk and listening to your thoughts, listening to how you're feeling, paying attention to your body. Um, sometimes it can be easier to get in touch with how you're feeling if you ask your body where it is in your body. I think I've told this story before, but there was a time once where I was like, weirdly frustrated with my husband and I couldn't really understand why and he was like well where are you feeling it in your body and then it was like immediately I was like oh I'm feeling it right here and I'm feeling this way because he, I was like he had like taken a break from work and I was jealous because <laughs> I didn't take a break from work it really had nothing to do with him but it was like this immediate indication because once we get in touch with our bodies our feelings become less they hold so much for us they have so much information um but really for threes i think a daily unplugged walk is like a really good way to get to know yourself um one how to address lack of motivation um you know i think with a lot of types types ones threes sevens especially i think Motivation goes down because product production and expectation has been so high. So um, I think rest, I think taking a break, I think unplugging, um, stepping away, not like lowering your expectations for yourself so that you can even breathe enough to have interest in being motivated again. So when you're in that space of I don't have a lot of motivation, like deepening into rest and then not forcing yourself, like not feeling shame in that space. Because a lot of times when these types, when they, when we're resting, we feel like guilt or shame or like this is bad or wrong. But in that space, instead say like, this is what I need in order to feel alive again. This is what I need in order to feel connected to my purpose again. And allowing that to be perfectly okay. Six, how to allow myself to let go and have fun without worrying about everything. Yeah, you know, I think, I think there's, Here's what I want to say about that. <laughs> I think you might worry. 
But I think that it's like allowing yourself to do it anyway and having empathy for yourself in the process. So I think a lot of times what we're doing when we're in a situation and we're worrying about it and we think we're being like a bummer, we're doing, we're like not having enough fun. We also talk negatively to ourselves. Like, why am I this way? Why am I, you know, I think our kiddo might be a six and he calls himself a wet blanket all the time. He really worries about that. And, um, and instead of like having that inner dialogue, the more compassion you can have with yourself, the more freedom you're going to have to, to have fun. Um, and then also I think just taking time beforehand, if it's like something that you're nervous about or something that you have kind of some anxiety about and just brain dumping, like writing all of those worries out um, so that you can get them out of your brain and then focus on what you want to do. I also heard this thing described for type ones. I heard someone in the comments had actually said this, where it was that sometimes they're holding they're juggling a bunch of balls and some of those balls are made out of glass. So if they drop, they're going to break. And so they're really important that you're careful with them and others are made out of plastic. So if they drop, they're going to bounce back. And that's, I think a really helpful way to think about it. Like these concerns, let's write down these concerns and which ones are made out of glass and which ones are made out of plastic, which ones, um, if they fall, if it goes wrong, I'm actually fine. And which ones, if it goes wrong, um, there's actually a big deal. And then like, let's just worry about the ones that are glass and let the other ones kind of go. And a lot of times when we really explore our fears, um, a lot of them are just plastic. It's like, oh, is someone going to think ill of me? Is, am I going to maybe have one bad night? Um, and I heard sometime once a type six um, in an interview was talking to me and she said, um, where... She said the, the sixth focus is not necessarily on, you know, what could go wrong. It's more on how can I guarantee that things will go right. And so kind of reframing that as like, I actually love to have fun. Um, I, I love a good time and I love a good time so much that I'm trying to prevent a bad time from happening. And if I can just like be empathetic with myself and say like, whew, you really want to have fun tonight and hold that space and then write down all the things that I'm worried about and then just let it be what it's going to be. Be in the present moment and allow allow the experience to happen. There's no anxiety or fear in the present moment, right? The present moment is always safe because we can if we can think about the present moment, we're okay, right? And the the fear of the present moment is really just a focusing on the future and what could happen down the road. So the more present you can be, the easier that's going to be. Regarding where do you feel it in your body, how did you make the connection between feeling it in your chest and it having to do with him taking a day off? So, okay, I'll just tell you this story really quick. So, essentially, my husband and I went to work at a coffee shop together. The coffee shop was really cold, and I was just, like, I in work mode. And it was like, I got to work. I got to focus on work. He was also working, but he was cold, too. And he went outside and stood in the sun and warmed up. And I stayed in and was in the cold feeling frustrated. <laughs> and so we're on our way to lunch and we're like walking and I'm just kind of, when I get frustrated, I just kind of shut down and get quiet and I'm being quiet. And he's like, what's wrong? I, was like, I honestly don't know. <laughs> and he was like, well, where do you feel it in your body? And I was like, and I really believe it's like just that moment of presence and, and silence that I was able to just kind of be like, whoa, I actually just feel like you got to do what you wanted to do for your body, what made you feel good, and I didn't choose to do what would feel good to my body, and I felt like I couldn't for some reason, and you could, and I'm jealous. Um, and I wouldn't say that it was like a conscious connection as much as it was just paying attention to my body gave me the information. Um, not that that works 100% of the time, but I will say paying attention to my body has offered me way more insight to my feelings than anything else. Um, okay, more questions. Okay, well, that's all the questions that we have actually already come in. If you guys have more questions, feel free to put them in the comments below. Or if you guys want to do like a um, book roulette situation where I just kind of open the book to your type and read you a little section from it. We can do that. That was really fun last live. Um, if you want me to do that for you, you can put your Enneagram type in the feed and we'll do that. Um, otherwise, we'll wrap up. I'll wait for just a second and see if anybody has more questions or 
wants a little a little book reading. All right, five. Um, how do you memorize all the different types? I forget. Well, I studied it for years um, and then did trainings on it. And so that's how um, that's how I did how I learned it. OK, all right. Type five. We're going to just kind of open up to a different. <clears throat> all right. I'm going to read two type fives. This morning, I sat and watched the roofers fix the house next door, heating and laying down tar one square at a time. I was reminded of rebuilding homes in New Orleans the year after Katrina. I've experienced nothing like the overwhelming sight of an entire wall of a naked home that I was meant to dress one nail and one strip of vinyl at a time. Even now, as I write to you, I can remember the sense of hopelessness, the fear that it would take all day, that I would break in the process of pushing past my perceived limits, feeling as though it was too much, too big of a task. I learned to focus on just the next nail and not to look at all that was ahead of me. One more nail, one more piece of vinyl, and remembering why we were there. The person who would benefit from our efforts and why the work we were doing was hard. But it was not an exhaustion for nothing. It was an exhaustion for something, for someone. Each nail, another step toward getting someone back in their home. One more nail, one more strip of vinyl, one step closer to a home. When I forgot why we were doing this and focused instead on the hot Louisiana sun beating down on my ginger skin, my lack of sleep or the aching in my back from squatting at the same level for nail after nail after nail, I would want to flee, to free myself from the obligation of doing too much. After all, people need sleep. We need time alone to rest and my skin was blister in the sun, my mind racing with reasons why this was too much to ask of myself, too much to give. Then I would remember the people the humans whose home I was putting back together one nail at a time, the memories they lost, the fear they must hold, and the loss that turned my stomach when I thought of it. And I spoke their names and words of love one nail at a time. Sharon, Marcus, Gigi, Dan. Each name a reminder that I can do more than I think I can. Through this, I have learned that it is much easier to love than to over-sacrifice. When I focus on how much I am giving and what is being taken from me, I wither at the thought of giving more. Yet the same action done in love breathes life into my bones and my capacity grows tenfold. That was for you fives, but for all of us. To the part in all of us that is a type five. Um, Y'all flirty today. Okay, <laughs> let's do type. Um, yeah, Larissa says I'm confused between type numbers seven and two. Is it possible to be kind of both? Yeah, so this so this is where subtypes are going to be really helpful. So the social seven can look like a two, and then the self-pres two can look like a seven. So your dominant type is going to be the one whose motivations and fears you, re you recognize most. So do you fear being not lovable or likable, um, or do you fear not being being trapped in negative emotions. Whichever one you relate to more is your dominant type. And then um, I would read up on the subtype. Okay. All right, I see a number two. Let's do number two. Let's just do all of them because I think I've seen everybody. So we'll start with number one and we'll work our way to number two, you know, our, our way back. You guys might've seen, this is type one. You guys might have seen this one. Um, recently I shared it, but I'll read it to you here. It says, if your honest emotional expression were a river, I see your feet planted firmly on the ground, shoulder pressed hard against a dam, using all your might to keep the water from tumbling out. Each tiny leak reminding you to push harder, get more strict, more controlled. But a river was never meant to be contained and nature always takes what is hers. And your feelings were never meant to be disciplined. So the dam comes crashing down. Your defense is powerless to the pressure and under the water you go. First scrambling and fighting as the current takes you in. But eventually, if you are able to stop resisting and let the river run its course, you will find that it's much easier to float than to press hard against the inevitable. Type two. Um, <clears throat> this one's called temporary tattoos. I used to think my worth could be negotiated, that goodness and identity were bottled and sold on whatever shelf people found their belonging. Each word someone shared about who they thought I was got painted onto my skin. And for years, I thought they were tattoos. 
only to realize that they wash right off with water and a little self-respect. And it turns out worth isn't up for debate. And I get to choose the words I tattoo on my skin. Brave, kind, passionate. And I read them to myself every morning through blood and tears as I wrestled with my infinite worth. I read them through gritted teeth on days I believed them and on days that I did not. I read them and I chose the voices that echoed them back to me to remain in my life. I toiled with my demons and fought for my soul until people started asking me which shelf I got my confidence from. All right, type three. <clears throat> this is called On Feeling. I have a switch that I flip in my brain that turns off my feelings. If a feeling is particularly inconvenient or overwhelming, I will often flip the switch. Flipping the switch feels like relegating that thought to one barricaded area of my brain so that I can focus my energy on other things. Sometimes the energy feels frenetic and I become stressed as I try to do 30 things at once. Sometimes it's finding fun things to do or watching videos of places I plan to travel to as a mental escape. It almost always sounds like I can't talk, think, write about that right now because I have blank to do. Yesterday I flipped the switch. It was a day that I had a lot of work to get done and videos to record, and I didn't want to be puffy on camera or take too long to finish my tasks. I sat down in the morning with my journal and began to answer the prompt I've answered daily since my father took his life. What are three things that you are grieving today? And I didn't have access to them. I could think of them, my mind running with concepts and ideas of feelings, but I couldn't feel them. Nothing moved in my heart. In this season, my husband has been asking me to discuss my feelings nightly. And last night, my hands gripped around a pillow serving as armor for my gut. I told him that I struggled to feel them and how going deeper felt like more tears and more headaches and more sadness. And that it just feels so inconvenient. He simply said, I think you're going to have to get used to sadness being a part of your daily life. I've been trying to compartmentalize my feelings taking time off of work to feel, going on a road trip to the deep south as a way to feel things alone, waiting until the end of the day to let myself feel things once the work is done. The idea of integrating sadness into my daily life goes against every tactic I've learned for success. It means learning and unlearning what being a business owner, a parent, and a wife means when it's not powering up and getting things done. It's inviting a conversation with the truth of who I am to the table every single morning and bringing that wholeness into my schedule each day. That was type three. Type four. I'm seeing you guys. All right, this is for type four. To me, dried flowers are one of life's most beautiful things so uniquely beautiful that they are incomparable to a fresh flower. It is beautiful in its own right. A flower that has lived a full life and its petals tell the story of richness and of depth. But I wonder if the flower feels that way. Does it know that it only grows separate in beauty? It's not more beautiful than a fresh flower, but it's also not less beautiful in any way. It's just beautiful differently. I wonder if the dried flowers feel as though they smell like rotting flesh. They are dying after all. Do they fear that makes them less desirable? Or perhaps they think that being dried is superior, that the fragility and abundance of fresh flowers makes them boring or even common. Are they so focused on what they aren't that they fear they are less worthy than a flower just cut? Or are they consumed with the sensation that they have a secret knowing of what it means to be sophisticated and timeless? I wonder if they, like me at times, struggle to hold the tension of feeling that they aren't enough, but also maybe that they're too much. The other flowers chattering on about how they're dramatic while the dried ones just refuse to ignore the pain that is all around. The petal clenching thirst of a life, the petal clenching thirst of a life fully felt. The darkened petals that seem to whisper, I know the ache of asking if anyone would notice that I'm gone. The beauty of a flower that has looked at the potential of loss and stayed to tell the tale. There is an inarguable magic in a dried flower that I think comes from its superiority, not from its superiority, but from its separateness. Sure, it is a bit dramatic to hang a floral corpse from a windowsill or a wall, but it tells a story of a life lived and lost, the suffering that it takes to make it to something new and beautiful and changed. I see the same magic in the eyes of those who are sensitive to life's subtleties, the ones who've been told they're too much for wanting to stop discussing the weather and start discussing where, where you learned to store your heartache. In the deepening of beauty, that happens when they no longer seek a place above or below 
no longer questioning am I bad or am I better, simply stepping to the side and making something rich out of their own experiences, the art of feeling and sharing what they've seen. This magic, when valued, turns the personal into something universal. Their stories of living and feeling and change become tiny roadmaps that help the rest of us to feel less alone being human, allowing us the freedom to no longer question, am I enough or am I too much? But instead to say, I am beautiful in my own right. All right, I'm gonna do, we already did type five. Um, I'll do type six. If y'all are still down. This is very timely. So this one's for Enneagram six. Um, it's called Leaves of Summer. I have been dreading the end of summer, wanting to hold on to the last few weeks of bare shoulders and sun-kissed skin as others are getting excited for the switching of seasons. I can't help but smell the frigid winds of winter and the changing of the leaves. This morning I sat and watched the squirrels jump from tree limb to tree limb, acorns bared between their teeth. They too are preparing for winter. So this morning, as I considered the changing of the seasons, I invited myself to notice. The trees are still fully stocked with leaves, not empty and dwindling as I had imagined. The moss is still neon green peeking out from the cracks in the sidewalk. I could still breathe in the morning air without a sharpness in my lungs. For days, as the leaves danced in the wind, making their way from sky to earth, I felt dread. A sense that all the good is coming to an end. Yet, the tree closest to our window is turning orange around the edges, and when I really look at it, it's so beautiful I could cry. Each leaf a different shade from green to brown to orange, a miracle of nature that I could easily ignore for fear of the coming storms. That's just it, isn't it? As we seek to hold on to the good that was, we become scared of what's to come, which causes us to miss all that is already here. Type 7... Are you guys still down for this? Are there sevens here? Oh, thank you. Um, so, so I just left to pre-order the book. It's beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, that means the absolute world to me. Thank you. Okay, I'll read seven. This is called More. For most of my life, when problems needed to be solved, I found my solution in more. I thought if I just added more good things in, that I could make a patchwork quilt of good things to cover up all that I was trying to avoid. When I was in 11th grade, I'd built my quilt out of extracurricular activities. I joined 12 clubs, played multiple sports, had a job, and was going to my church three days a week. I would go to bed at 2 a.m. and wake up at 6 a.m. to do my homework before another day of school. Eventually, I started to let my grades slip and even walked out of an AP U.S. history test because I hadn't studied. As a teenager, I felt shame. I knew that I'd prioritized the wrong things. I felt judged by my classmates who sat next to me as I seemingly didn't even try to pass this test. Now that I'm an adult, I can see so clearly that I was avoiding the sadness I felt when I went home. I took any opportunity to occupy my time so that I didn't have to feel the rib-aching heart of being on my own. The most difficult part of that memory for me is the way I chose to laugh it off. The way I made it seem like I just didn't care about the class instead of asking for the help that I needed. I can still see the look of disappointment my classmate gave me, her furrowed brow and wondering eyes seemingly saying, what on earth is wrong with you? But now I realize they had someone at home to ask them if they'd done their homework, to help them study. Their shock at my behavior was a shock at the way I was laughing it off, not at the fact that I had failed. I was a kid and I needed help and my fear of letting anyone know allowed them to take me less seriously than I felt. As I got older, more looked like adding income streams to solve my fear of not making rent, taking every interview for fear of being irrelevant or going out for drinks with friends every night because I didn't want to be home alone. The silly thing is that more has never loved me well. It has never held me through my pain, only made me the butt of my own jokes. More has never sat with me on the floor while I cried or helped me to be brave. Only less has done that. Only stopping and saying no and taking time to do nothing. Less allowed space for me to be more than the light I thought I had to be. And as I embraced less, she whispered in my ear, you, my love, are plenty. You do not need any more. Um, all right, let's do... We'll do eight and we'll do nine. And if y'all joined later, I've already read one through, I've already read one, two, three, four, you know, all the way up to eight. So there's one for you in the, the replay. You can go back and watch it if you want. Okay, this is for type eight. It says on learning not to choose force. 
The iron in your blood flows heavy with the weight of inequity. At times, a wrecking ball swinging at the structures, mitigating the safety of yourself and others. At others, a gate standing guard against anyone wanting in or out of, for fear of being hit from behind. Neither objectively bad when used in the right timing. A wrecking ball or a fence can be useful when in danger, but where do they fit when all is well? A wrecking ball is not helpful in a room of fragile things, such as feelings of tenderness and welcome, a shattering of safety where it meant to protect. A fence is not helpful when you're left fending for yourself, a wall keeping love out that it meant to keep in. It is beautiful, the iron that pumps through your veins, a sign of the care that you possess. It's just that perhaps forming that iron into a container is more appropriate when the fragile mess of being human just needs to be held. That's for our eights and our nines. Okay, this is called, this is for type nine. It's called Growing Pains. And all y'all who are joining, I'm reading from my book, The Enneagram Letters, um, just so you know. It says, we don't talk much about growing pains, how focusing on improving our life or rewiring our old coping mechanisms can sometimes feel worse than just living into the behaviors that are most comfortable. We champion personal growth and encourage self-reflection, yet we neglect to acknowledge that it sometimes aches. Like beginning to work out again after weeks of taking a break, it's sore as the muscles tear and reform. At times, growth is choosing the more difficult path. It's doing things that feel unnatural until they become our new normal. It's taking care of our future happiness in exchange for our momentary satisfaction. I don't care what anyone says, spending money is more fun than saving money. It just is. But it's also a recipe for a lifetime of feeling like you are underwater. So yes, it's worth it, but it's definitely not as much fun. I think it's important that we talk about this because so much of self-help work is all love and light and follow your bliss. And when it's right, it's easy, but I wanna challenge that idea. Sometimes when it's right, it's hard. It's hard because it's an unflexed muscle, a path that's never been walked before, and the briars haven't been cleared away yet. It's moving away from what is easy and choosing to do what is right for us, even when it's hard. Okay, friends, that's one through nine. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys joining me today. I'm gonna check back for any questions or comments, but if you have any questions or comments, you can put them in the comments below and I'll check them out. Um, but otherwise it's been an absolute joy to kind of spend a little time with you today. I think I'm going to do hopefully weekly lives for the next few next little while, just because I'm feeling like I'm craving that reciprocity, um, with the internet, <laughs> like not just talking in one direction, but spending time with you. So if that's something you're interested in, we'll, we'll do this more. But thank you guys for joining and those who sent in questions and those who requested readings. Um, it's been real fun and I'll see you next time. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.